you look at the text itself, and you don't need to write these down, but the, the book is broken down this way. Christ is better than the prophets, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to concentrate on 1 through 3 this morning. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than the angels. Listen, there are some people today who think that even angels should be worshipped. Christ is better than the angels because they worshipped the Lord, didn't they? They worshipped Christ. Christ is better than Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, 4.14 through 10.18. And then there's to be a response to the fact that Jesus Christ is better than even all that we have in the Old Testament system. He's better than this. Okay? And what's the response to be? God wants us to respond in faith to the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be seeing this as we look in the text. In fact, if you look at the uh, account of Hebrews, you can look at it this way. There's the superiority of Christ's person in chapters 1 through 4. And then there's the superiority of his work, what he did in his sacrifice for our sins. And then as a result of that, there's a superiority of our walk of faith. When we respond to Christ, the Lord says, now I want you to walk by faith and not by sight alone. I want you to trust me for things that you can't see. I want you to trust me and believe in me. And he's asking the Jewish believers in this letter to do that. In fact, many of the Jewish believers who stepped out of what we would call Old Testament Judaism and stepped into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul did himself, they were being tempted to go back into Judaism to escape the persecution for their faith. In other words, when as Jewish people, they stopped the Old Testament sacrifices and stopped going to temple worship. And there were still priests in that day. The temple had not yet been destroyed until 70 AD. There were those who were involved in Judaism of the Old Testament who really accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And after they accepted Christ and they stepped into what we would call Christianity, they were beginning to be persecuted for their faith, just like some people are persecuted today. Um, there were there no doubt were those who say, oh, well, you have this business, and now you've accepted Jesus as the true Messiah. Well, we're not going to buy anything from your store anymore. And that type of persecution, you see, can even exist in our world today where people accept Christ as Savior and those who don't believe that Jesus is the only Savior from sin may persecute them, may even say things or do things that are harmful to, in, in their experience. And so, you see, we have um, Jewish believers who stepped out of Judaism and to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were being persecuted for their faith. So they, in turn, were wondering if they shouldn't just go back into the old system. They were tempted uh, to leave the body of believers and faith in Jesus Christ and go back. And um, people even today, uh, I haven't heard that term for a number of years, but sometimes people today, sometimes even people who know Christ as Savior, you hear the word, they backslide. They backslide. They stop worshiping God. Stop reading their Bibles. Stop praying with others. And they they backslide. Maybe even true believers 
Um, and uh, th- there's always that temptation. Uh, the question is, is it worth serving and following the Lord? Is it really worth it? And you and I know that it is. We want to follow him. Uh, we used to sing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Remember that song? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. So let us run the race till we see Christ. That hymn was built on Hebrews, the book of Hebrews as well. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 actually is a, again, I'm going to repeat it, is a very beautiful, beautiful section of Scripture. Appreciate John's reading of it this morning. It's a summary of the rest of the book of Hebrews. The author is stating the fact that Jesus Christ is superior to everyone and everything. Your Lord and your Savior is worthy, rather, of your time here this morning in worship. And the the writer of Hebrews wants us to get a hold of the fact that while he was writing to Jewish Christians, he wants us to get a hold of the fact that our Savior is worthy of all our love and devotion. He's an awesome God and Savior. He is Lord, so let us worship him. We just heard sung together. Now let's go to 1-1. It says this, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past, to the fathers by the prophets. Okay, he spoke in time past. Now, one of the things that's easy to miss in this is God has spoken. Okay, I'll tell you why I'm going to say that's important. I had the privilege of being at the uh, Bible booth at the state fair. And you meet all kinds of people there, by the way. And I, when I say all kinds, I mean all kinds. And, <laughs> and this big guy came up the other day. And he said, now, don't let any shock factor hit you on this, but big, tall guy, and I'm standing there, and he comes up and he says, now, don't be telling me we're all sinners. And furthermore, don't be telling me that we were born in sin. Who told you that? (laughs) The lady in the booth next to me, she's there praying, you know. (laughs) I said, well, God did. He told us through his word. And I said, don't you believe that the God who created our universe wouldn't be able to communicate his word to us and tell us what pleases him? And he didn't answer that. He didn't say anything on that. But um, I got to admit, uh, he still needs prayer for sure. And, and I got to give you the next part really, real quick. I spoke with him for several minutes. And uh, after I got done, and I tried to let him talk too, you know, um, his wife was down at the end of the other booth and she walked over and she said thank you for taking time with my husband and I said I'm praying for him and I didn't hear her say I am too but I think she is <laughs> I think she's praying too so yes God has spoken and he spoke in times past by the prophets and uh, this really tells us in 2 Peter 1.21 we have that reference uh, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. This really is telling us how the Lord has prepared his people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 21 and 20. 2 Peter 1, 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
um, uh, knowing this first. In other words, it's not just what the human author wanted to record. For prophecy came not by the will of man. So the Bible isn't, oh, some man decided to sit down and write the scriptures. No, God supernaturally guided the human writers so that they composed and recorded for us all the things that God wanted us to hear. The fact that we are born sinners and we need a Savior. And that man, of course, he needs a Savior. And uh, one good thing which I didn't add is he did take the track, the good news, bad news track. Maybe he'll come to Christ. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that's how the Word of God came into being. The Holy Spirit touched the hearts of those who God wanted to write the Scriptures, and they composed and they recorded without error that which God wants us to know. And so in various ways, again, he says God spoke in time past. He spoke to Isaiah in a vision. He spoke to directly to Abraham and to Moses. He spoke to Jacob in a dream. He spoke to the people of Israel in a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. And now today God speaks to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And if someone does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they really don't have a relationship with God. And they can't hear the Lord ministering to them. God primarily speaks to us through his word. And of course... His word is affirmed, and much of the word of God, especially New Testament, the four Gospels, is the words of Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an awesome Savior. In fact, um, you remember that on several occasions uh, it is stated that the voice of the Father came from heaven and said, on the Mount of Transfiguration especially. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And every time I see that, I say, Lord, um, would you be pleased to give me a sensitivity to listen to you? When, when you're asking me to do something, would you make sure I, I do what you want me to do? Isn't that a good way to pray? No matter how long we've known the Lord, that's really a good way to pray. Uh, because sometimes, you know, and, and I don't mean this negative, but sometimes we, we're real good at listening to ourselves. But we need to listen to the Lord. If he says, call somebody, visit somebody, do something, pray for somebody, take something somewhere, we want to be have that sensitivity. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that going back into Judaism, moving away from closeness and discipleship with Jesus Christ is a very bad choice. Jesus Christ fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament, and he's better than anything in the Old Testament system. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. In fact, when we witness for Christ, you know, I think this is good to remember, and I try to use it a lot, especially like at the state fair, but other places as well. When you're asking someone to see the person of Jesus Christ, like is described here in Hebrews chapter 1, and like as it is described in the book of Revelation, when you say, I'm just praying that you'll understand you really need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you accept him, he'll do two things right away. Two things. Forgives our sins, all our sins, and promises to take us to heaven. And uh, I, I mentioned that to the guy who was very negative. Uh, when you trust Christ, he forgives you of your sin 
and he promises to take you to heaven. We use that in our witness. Jesus Christ is an awesome Savior. He's the perfect expression and revelation of God. In fact, that's what the book of Hebrews is about. In John 1.18, we read, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the uh, closest relationship to the Father, King James text says, is in the bosom of the Father. He has revealed Him. So when we see Jesus Christ, we see how He responds to sinners. We see how He responds to people who are outside of the family of God. Uh, we see how He responds to um, His disciples. He is our example in all things. And uh, we know how God functions when we look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just for a few moments, let's go to verses 2 and 3 where we see he's beginning to discuss the supremacy, the, the awesomeness of Christ. He's good, better. He's the best. He's better than even things that happen in the Old Testament economy. He's supreme. Let's look at some of the terms that are used here. 2A, in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Did you see that? Heir of all things. Okay. Now there's a reason why he starts with that one, because he's the Son. Did you notice that clearly? In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who is the heir of all things. He's heir, he's the inheritor, and that's the term I want you to remember. He's the inheritor because he's the son. Sons become inheritors of their parents. Jesus is the heir of, notice the text says, all things. Jesus is said to be the heir of planet earth and all the people who live here. Psalm 2. Remember in that Psalm 2, we have the words of the father to the son. You are my son. Today I have declared your sonship. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the whole world is your possession. In other words, we say it this way. Well, everything belongs to the Lord now, actually. But the day's going to come, millennial kingdom on, when he will take full control. Evil and unrighteousness will be put down. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And then at the end of that, loose for a little season, and then bound in all eternity in the future. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. It all belongs to the Lord. <clears throat> I love Psalm 24, where it begins, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. It all belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all who dwell in it. You and I, we belong to the Lord. As creator, of course, of the universe, he is the natural heir. It's, it's interesting how the Apostle Paul in the New Testament builds truth out of what is said in the Old Testament. But the Apostle Paul also said all things were created by him and for him, Colossians 1.16. So as the creator of the universe, he's the natural heir of all things. But also as the redeemer, he has earned a vast inheritance of people. You see, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and so we belong to him and we're heirs. We're heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul prayed that the church 
in Ephesians 1.18 would understand. Now, I'll slow down on this. The riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints. In other words, you and I are the inheritance of Christ. So you belong to the Lord. Remember how we try to say this from time to time. You're very special before God. And I mean very special. You're God's child. And by the way, Satan wants to get us discouraged. He wants us to not think that the Christian life works. And he wants us to go back into our own life. Uh, he wants us to be down. That's Satan, you see. He's the accuser of the brethren. He goes before the presence of God and accuses us. And um, That's the devil, okay? But we as believers, we need to remember that we are heirs with Christ. That we belong to him. The apostle says we need to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You and I as believers are highly valued to Christ. Jesus is the heir of the heavens and the earth. But you and I as believers are his treasures. He paid for us at the cross. He died for our sins. He cares about you. He cares about what hap will happen to you and what happens to you. Because you belong to him. He's the inheritor. And what has he inherited? The whole earth because it all ultimately belongs to him. And so do you and I as believers. We are his treasures. He's also creator. Notice the phrase in 2B. And through whom he made the universe. And the word universe is a, a word that really could be translated the ages, ionos. The sum total of all the periods of time, it all belongs to him. Romans, I'm sorry, Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him. Does anybody know the last two words? And for him. For him. So he's, what's the writer of Hebrews saying? Look, Christ is superior because he's the inheritor. He's the creator. He's also the sustainer. Notice it says, upholding all things by the word of his power. Or sustaining all things by the word of his power. Now you and I, we have limitations in what we can do. Uh, Dr. Ryrie used to have us say, uh, uh, he, he used to say to us, rather, he used to say, um, try holding your hand out for a while with a glass of water in it. You could do it for a while. You could do it for quite a while. But keep holding it and see how long you can hold it. <laughs> but God, you see, upholds the whole world. It's all under his sovereign control. It's he, He's sovereign, Psalm 103. He's in control. He upholds, upholds all things by the word of his power. And as was mentioned this morning in the song, this world came into being by his spoken word. We were teaching the boys in uh, the Iwana clubs this the other night. And uh, Joseph was there for that. And uh, you ask them now, I hope, how did God create our world? Did he have something to work with? No. He spoke our world into being. You know, that's really something to think about, isn't it? He didn't have anything to work with. And he said, let there be. And there was. Let there be light. Uh, that to be the, the earth and the stars by his spoken word. Well, it's by his same spoken word, you see, that he sustains our world. He's the sustainer, sustaining all things by the word of his power. All things. He's sustainer. Colossians 1.17, he 
In him all things hold together. A couple more real quickly. He's the radiator who is the brightness of his glory. You see, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the brightness of the Father's glory because he's God as well. That's the idea. Who is the, and, and, you know, it, I'll tell you what bothers me. When you run into these people say, well, you know, I know Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. But I can't buy the fact that he's God the Son. Well, you have to in order to be saved. Jesus said, if you do not believe I am, you notice in John's Gospel, I forget the exact reference. Old King James translated it this way. If you believe not that I am he, but the he really isn't a part of the Greek text. He says, if you do not believe that I am, I'm the God, I'm the I am of the Old Testament who appeared to Moses, who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. I am the I am. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus does not simply reflect the glory of God. He is part of the glory of God. Remember the account in the Gospels when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Let's see, who was up there? Peter, James, and John. And who came there? To be with them. Anybody? Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. There's a major part of the Old Testament. Okay? So they're up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the text says, And his clothes became shining exceedingly white. That is Jesus. And his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. That must have been something for them to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ when he unveiled his glory for a while. Well, we're going to see that glory someday in the future. The sun is the radiance of his glory. He's the radiator, and he's the representor. And the exact representation of his being refers to the image on a coin, exact representation. Jesus is... Completely the same in his being as the Father. An image on a coin perfectly corresponds to the image on the die that makes the coin. Okay? And here you have the Lord Jesus Christ who is in the exact representation of his being. In other words, he's God, but he's distinct from the Father. He's God the Son. Both are God. And then, of course, he's the purifier. Oh, how we love this phrase. When he had by himself purged our sins. He made the sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price for our sins by his shedding of blood. And that writer of scripture is saying, he's the only one that can do it. This is why we say to people, you know, I really would like you to consider putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I already have the next person lined up that I'm going to witness to and I hope he's ready I'm not going to say it out loud I hope he's ready I know someone who really needs Christ and uh, you know you do too and, and don't get discouraged about telling someone else about Christ you're doing what God wants you to do remember it says in Acts chapter 1 8 you should receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Well, the Holy Spirit will help you to witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is also the purifier. And lastly, in these three verses, 
Lastly, he is the ruler. You'll notice the text says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There he is ruling. He's sovereign over all. This is really beautiful. It's beautiful because he's also called in the book of Hebrews our great high priest. Remember I said some Jewish Christians were thinking about going back into Judaism where they still had the Old Testament priests as we call them. And they still had a high priest. But the writer of Hebrews said Jesus Christ is the high priest. And he's in heaven. And now he has... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now keep this in mind. This contrast, you'll love it. The point is this. The Old Testament priests, when they would offer the sacrifices in the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament, they never sat down. There were no chairs in there. When they, in fact, when it went into the Holy of Holies, they would take the blood from the blood sacrifice and sprinkle it on the... Um, yeah, thank you. The mercy seat. I drew a blank on mercy seat. He'd spring. Now, but the priest also had bells attached to their garments, their robes. And the reason is they could only be in there in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God, for a little while. And they wanted to hear those bells. They wanted to hear him moving around in there. Remember, no chair in there. Because year after year, once a year, the people of Israel had to make a sacrifice for the whole nation. Day of Atonement. Okay? And so he would go in and sprinkle the bell, and they could hear his, the bells on the bottom of his garment, and he'd come out. You see, why that? Why the standing up? Because the sacrifice for sin was not completed. But you see, Jesus went to the cross for you and me, and there he paid the price. He was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And he died and he rose again. And now he's ascended on high. The sacrifice for sin is complete. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That is awesome truth in the word of God. He's there now. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says, and let's, let's end with this. Romans 8 says, He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ever living to make intercession for us. Remember we talked about the fact that he's the inheritor and he cares about us and we belong to him. Well, he, he's watching over you. You may not think so. You may think there's days when, ah, I don't know if God's really watching over me that much. and I don't know if he really cares about things I'm doing. He cares about what you're doing. In fact, the point is, if he sees you're heading the wrong way, there's communication between the Father and the Son. And I've heard people sit down and debate, I don't think Jesus is praying about me. I do. I think that's what the Bible says. Does it not say he's an intercessor? It says it, right? That means he prays. You pray for others, don't you? Jesus prays for you. He loves you very much. He gave his life for you. So we have an awesome Savior. He's superior to everything in the Old Testament. Everything. He's the inheritor, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the radiator, he's the uh, representor, he's the purifier, and he rules over all. He's the supreme one. And remember what the Father in heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And let's close in prayer and ask the Lord that we'll listen to him.